welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Oh, yes. Thank you very much, Big Voice in the Sky. That's right. We are back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast in high-quality audio delivered to you uh, by the powers of CBS Sports and 24-7 Sports. Barton Simmons uh, there. Chip Patterson here. Barton, how we doing? Man, we're good. We're good. You know, the frequency's picking up here, Chip. I'm hearing your voice more and more often. That means football season's coming. Things are good, brother. The uh, the And I love the slow trickle. And if you have not subscribed, please subscribe uh, to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Offer us a review. Offer us a rating. Uh, Barton, I, I went back and I was... I was doing a little scan through the reviews, you know, thanks to those of you who have left ones recently. We had some hard critics out from the get-go. They did not like, uh, I think it was uh, Chip, Chip should stay in his frat house and as far away from a podcast as possible was one of our earliest reviews. So I would like to think we've come far from that. Yeah, man. I haven't seen many of those in a long time. We've, we, uh, nowadays, if we get a bad review, it's just sort of a hater that doesn't really have anything. That doesn't like our takes. Yeah, it's just a you know. There's always going to be haters, but we're we're in good shape. I think our views are looking sharp. If you're listening, you give us a review. You're only allowed to do it if it's a five star. Uh, otherwise, we don't need your we don't need your feedback. Uh, <laughs> and but yeah, man, this is it's uh, we're rolling. Our uh, all right, so. We have some business to take care of. We got an interesting conversation with Dennis Dodd coming up. Um, he, it, with gambling now becoming legal on a state by state basis and continuing to pop up across the United States, you know, he wanted to uh, take a look at you know, what impact that would have on college football. So, can a college game be fixed, and if so, how? That will be a, a conversation with Dennis Dodd coming up in a little bit, along with uh, some of the the general. Um, you know, ongoings at Ohio State and at Maryland. Uh, we'll have a note on that in just a little bit as there was a development, though DJ Durkin remains on administrative leave. But first, Barton, first, we got to buzz it up. Buzz it. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Talking about players that are buzzing. Where are we starting? Uh, let's start. I got two Big Ten teams. So let's start Big Ten East first at Penn State. Two guys are buzzing. Um, one is no surprise. The number five player in all the country, Micah Parsons, the biggest commit of the James Franklin era. Uh, he is buzzing. He's running with the twos, rotating in with the ones at will linebacker. Um and and here's what's I think really interesting about Micah Parsons is there are all these red flags around Micah Parsons from an off the field standpoint. Like is he gonna is he going to be coachable? Is he and like it wasn't anything specific as much as it was just sort of like this kid who just seems to need some some direction, right? Sure. And he gets he's an early enrollee. He gets on campus and it's been absolute rave reviews. So you just never know. And he gets on campus and like it's he's been a he's been a model student. He's been a model teammate, um, and really has embraced the the Penn State team. And and I think that speaks well to the, just the culture there. But uh, he's been really good. And and you know that's a program that needs help at linebacker. Uh, 
and that's also a program now with uh, with Ryan Buckholtz injured and and retiring a defensive end there. There's additional opportunity there as a pass rusher, and when and if Micah Parsons gets let loose rushing the passer, I don't I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Wisconsin. Like that dude's going to be a factor. So really exciting to see Micah Parsons sort of staying on the straight and narrow and and getting it done on the field because he is as talented as anybody in the country in that 2018 class. Um, The other one, go ahead. I was just going to say that the, I I think that Micah Parsons has the potential to be the one of the few, I mean, like when's the last time you can remember Penn State having a name on the defensive side of the ball? Like, cause yeah, we, see, yeah. we get good players and, and there's definitely been the development and there, there have been uh quality, like all conference and even yeah, flor- and, and, and NFL draft picks. I mean, they, yeah. they're, they're sending guys to the NFL, but I think to your point, like that national household name. Right. And that's, and yeah. Parsons is the first one in a long time, as far as I can remember. Uh, and I think he'll be that. I mean, he's too, he is too exciting between the lines to not to be that guy. So I, I think he's. He's his his you know his his arrival his performance is sort of everything it you know it's the best case scenario so far and his uh, commitment video was uh you know you know as far as commitment videos go he was up there right strong he had a high strong. high high production value on his commitment video and we have seen the bar continue to be raised for that signing day by signing day yes well and we've also seen uh We've we've seen a lot of shoddy ones too. That's and if you true. got the high if you got the high quality production value, you know you're a big dog. Yeah, exactly. Or or, or at least you know somebody in the biz. Um, the other guy before we leave Penn State. So the other thing about Penn State is coming in, they they got the number one wide receiver in the country and a kid named Justin Shorter, six four, two hundred fifteen pounds, four five forty, just a freak on the outside. Well, over the course of the summer, this kid Daniel George was really turning heads. Like, if you come and watch their workouts, apparently you'd have been like, that looks like the number one receiver in the country. And it's this other kid, Daniel George. And now that the pads have come on, this other wide receiver, Jahan Dotson, is is a guy that's really flashing. And all none of this is to say that Justin Shorter isn't everything Penn State thought he would be, but I think it's, it's more just a speaks to how good the other wide receivers in this class that no one else was really talking about before are. And so... Again, I think that that's that's a credit to their recruiting. I think that they've they've really stockpiled a lot of really good pass catch options in this 2018 class. Incoming freshmen, I think they've probably got three that we'll see this fall in some capacity. And Jahan Dots is the guy that's really made some some big splash early on. Wow, what's uh, well, what is the expectation in terms of like? Because we think that with the um. With the changeover with Moorhead leaving, we're expecting the offense in terms of basic principles. We're not we're not veering too far off course from where we were a year ago, right? No, I mean, I, well, I, look, we'll we'll see, I guess, but I would expect it to look very similar. I mean, same quarterback, they're going to play to that same skill set. They have the really the same skill set, the skill positions too, in terms of big bodies in the outside. That can Miles go Sanders, board. I mean, Miles Sanders the ball downfield, yeah, and then uh, yeah, I think Miles Sanders is not Saquon Barkley, but he's still a very dynamic explosive running back that can catch the ball and do a lot of things. So, yeah, I mean, from a personnel standpoint, there's no reason to think this offense looks any different than last year in terms of what they try to do schematically. Players that are making a buzz. 
Camp Campus. Camp Campus. Camp Campus. Talking about players that are buzzing. All right, let's go down to the SEC now. All right. Uh, before dipping back up to the pins to to uh, the Big Ten one more time. At LSU, they just lost two transfers at quarterback. Uh, but all they've been talking about this offseason is how they've got to have a quarterback because their wide receivers are so good. That's the strength of their team. They gotta, they've got to feature the wide receiver position, right? Right. Okay, well, now, heading into the, the meat of preseason camp, there's a true freshman running with the ones at that wide receiver group. Ooh, who is so it? It's not as if that wide receiver group was bad to begin with. Like it's not as if, as if that's that's easy money there. He just got out get his Jamar Chase, mm. and, and and he was a kid that I, I reminded me a lot of of Jarvis Landry coming out of high school because he's a really physical kid at the receiver position, and he's he, he's rolling in and and has brought that physicality to the position. I, there's some there's some buzz. There's some camp buzz that by the end of the year two of the top three most productive receivers at LSU could very well be Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall, two true freshmen. Uh, but I think Jamar Chase is the guy that may be a, a step above ahead right now. Um, he's going to be a dude. And if Joe Burrow can get these guys the rock, the, the reality is that that wide receiver position is very, very good at LSU. Who else is uh, – who Who are the players that had that, that staff excited? Because when you look at – uh, the players that were catching balls or, you know, it, well, uh, first of all, uh, any kind of LSU uh, passing game has been suspect or at times not exactly a strength. But, you know, DJ Chark's gone. Russell Gage is gone. Who are they excited about that's coming up next? Yeah, I mean, Steven Sullivan is, is a guy that I think that really long, big catch radius receiver that they'd like. Um, you know, Jonathan Giles, who's the Texas Tech transfer Drake Davis, who's this big 6'4", 220-pound athlete at, on the outside. Like that, it's just really, as much as anything at LSU, it's just sort of this embarrassment of riches or, or like a really deep room of athletes, I guess, is the best way of calling it. But I think with Terrace Marshall coming in and with Jamar Chase coming in, those guys are more than just athletes. I think those guys are really advanced at the receiver position, and they're also really, really talented. So those are the guys, I think, that are going to be – as impactful as any receiver in, or around the country in the true freshman class. The pride of Metairie, Louisiana, Jamar Chase. No doubt. Dude, no doubt. That'd be awesome if he was uh, If he was great. Uh, all right, you want to go back to the Big Ten? One more Big Ten. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Talking about players that are buzzing. All right, if you watched the Under Armour All-American game last year, you saw a kid named Maurice Washington who looked like the best offensive player on the field. And he probably was. But he was also a little bit of an unknown, big sophomore season, disappeared junior year. No one even knew what school he was at. As it turns out, he was sitting out. Then he played his senior season at, I forget, Trinity Christian, I think, in uh, in, in Texas, which is Deion Sanders' school. Uh, and and it, But it was... Bad competition. No one really knew sort of what to expect out of him. He was the best player at the Under Armour game on offense. Nebraska ends up signing him. And now, and no one, again, was he going to qualify? Was he going to be prepared when he got there? He is in Lincoln. He is everything that he looked like he was at that Under Armour game. 
And now it appears that Scott Frost has got another weapon on offense, a really dynamic, really explosive skill player out of the backfield. Now, whether he wins that starting job, I'm not going that far, but you'll see him this year. And I think by the end of the year, he's going to be a really explosive threat in that offense for Nebraska. I feel like we're going to watch Nebraska. Nebraska is going to have a couple of games in October and November where you're going to start to see the light come on and the potential for what Nebraska can be. Is that too optimistic? I mean, I know we're all in on Scott Frost. We're like way too all in. But is 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 that a realistic uh, outcome for the way that this season goes for the Cornhuskers? Well, the thing with me is it's just it's really hard not to envision a scenario where offensively they end up being really impressive. And I mean, like even from the jump. I mean, I don't know about like. I, I, at some point in this season, they are going to be a really scary team on offense. I'm not ready to say it's week one, but maybe it's week six, I, and and then through from there on out. So yeah, I think like at some point it clicks. But you just there really is a lot of weapons on this team, like more than there should be on a four and eight team, and they've they've done a good job of bringing in more weapons that are ready. So if Adrian Martinez is any good at all, if Maurice Washington impacts any kind of punch at all. If the three receivers that we like are anything like we thought they would be, yeah, this is going to be an offense that's really good. Uh, one quick note before we get to the Dodd father. Um, so there was a press conference at the University of Maryland. It was called for two o'clock early in the early in the morning. And Barton, I was thinking that it was possible that we were going to be watching the DJ Durkin is out press conference. Uh, it was not. It was a press conference that where the athletics director, Damon Evans, Wallace Lowe, the university president, accepted, quote, moral and legal responsibility um, for the death of former offensive lineman Jordan McNair and apologized to the family. And uh, I, DJ Durkin remains on, uh, remains on paid administrative leave. Rick Court, the strength and conditioning coordinator, he has been dismissed or accepted a, uh, a resigned with a little bit of financial compensation. You, do you think any has your opinion on the situation at Maryland changed based on yesterday's press conference? Uh, DJ Durkin's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's it's a matter of time. That was my takeaway. Is that they just you know they need to go through this investigation just to give themselves some some legal backing, legal clearance. Yeah, yeah. I, I think DJ Durkin is gone. And I don't even know if it has anything to do with the Jordan McNair thing. I, not that I think he's the the Jordan McNair thing. Well, the death I shouldn't call it a thing is ultimately the impetus for for this entire investigation. But I think they are pinning the culture on DJ Durkin, and they seem to try to distance him from the culpability and put that on the legal staff in terms of the death. But the culture of the program, I think, is something they're going to find to be unacceptable. And I think that they they pulled the plug on Durkin because of it. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, let's get into the Dodfather. The magic bullet they now have in their holster, which they will apply. Nick Saban and Jim Harbaugh make a combined twenty million this season. Those two guys alone will make thirteen million more than the entire Mac. 
Oh, yes, you hear that sound. You know what that means. It means the Dodd father has returned to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Dennis Dodd, senior college football columnist at CBS Sports. Dennis, welcome back. Uh, it has been about, you know, two weeks or so since the three of us got to, to sit down, break bread, and uh, have some, some lively debates and plan our season. Uh, how, how are you doing? I am good. I'm ready to get back. I've got the football bug. Uh, kind of summer's over and, and ready to go, ready to play. Um, the the one one thing that really got me going was uh, discussions that that we started to have in Fort Lauderdale, which was uh, during the process of your gathering for a story. Which uh, we're recording this here on Tuesday. By the end of the week, it's going to be out. But uh, if, if we tease it, then I apologize to our fine editorial staff. Or if we ruin something, you know, go read the story anyway. Dennis, with gambling being legal now in several states, um, now you have turned your attention to uh, some of the impacts, and and you know how much impact was there before? How much impact was there after? Uh, you know, as you just sort of start, when I last talked to you, you were still in the exploratory and gathering process. You know, what, what, what sort of inspired you to, to start going in this direction, uh, in terms of, you know, what was going to be happening now that gambling is legal in so much more of the United States previously only in Nevada, uh, as it pertains to college football. Well, the question I, I asked myself and I wanted to answer is, you know, in this age of legal sports gambling, does that make it more likely there will be more impropriety or less likely, you know, that we're, we're going to have a regulated sports gambling landscape. And the conclu- I guess I guess the opinion I came up with after talking to a bunch of people, it depends on who you talk to. Um, I talked to a former mob figure who does who's a who's a consultant and does motivational speaking. He's out of the mob now, and he says, "Oh yeah, there's there's no uh, there's no doubt there's going to be more because." The more you put out there, the more chance there is mathematically for it. So he's saying, you know, the more gambling that we know about, the more chance there is for improprieties. And I really got started on this where the commissioners were using kind of this code word, integrity. What does integrity mean? You know, it's it was quote unquote integrity. I think it's a it's a, a word they use to protect themselves without saying the actual words game fixing. Or, you know, somebody shaving points, because that's the, that's the worst that can happen here. There have been the last eight decades, there's been one there's been one major gambling scandal, at least per decade since the 1940s. And so does that continue or, or is it so regulated now that, um, you know, that it goes away? And so I'll leave I'll leave the conclusions to the story. But that's what I was after. So, so, who did you talk to for this? Because you mentioned that when when we were down there, you talked to uh, <laughs> was it an anonymous uh, figure that has been involved in game fixing in the past? Like, what what who were some of the guys that you dug into um, to to get some perspective on this? No, my, Michael Francis is a is a former member of the Colombo crime family out of New York. He uh, he was lucky Small enough title. To- yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, lucky enough to get out without being killed. Um, I think he he met his wife a long time ago and was inspired to turn and and did and, and, and runs a very successful business now, kind of talking to schools about this, producing movies, um, writing, writing books. But 
uh, doesn't shy away from the fact that uh, he has fixed games. And in general, we'll talk about how it's done. I talked to Tom McMillan, who's a former congressman from Maryland, who's now head of Lead One, which is the FBS AD's organization. Um, Ross Bjork, who's uh, the AD at Ole Miss. Ole Miss, I think, is either going online or has just gone online with legal gambling in that state. Um, and, and the usual, uh, the usual college football officials who are really worried about, you know, how this is going, how this is going to come about. So, what's what's your how did you fall on this? What what was your opinion after talking to folks? I mean, I, I've my perception, without digging to the extent that you have, mm-hmm. is that look, it's it's the more light you shine on the industry, the, yes. the less likely there will be for. Um, for improprieties because people are going to gamble regardless and people have been gambling for years regardless uh i gambled illegally for for years you know so yeah. it's like what what's what, what how where did you come out in this after talking to some folks the the moment the supreme court decision came down in may i think it was may 23rd i did a piece right away where yeah i i basically agreed with with what you said i looked at it and there are Boy, there are some very esteemed companies, worldwide concerns that run sports books. Let's not forget, Nevada's not the only place that has sports books. You can, you can bet on corner kicks in the UK in a soccer game in real time. Um, and these are highly respected places whose, like any business, it's in their best interest that, that things are square. You know, why would you want any impropriety? Um, that's why. You know, the bookmakers or the sports books in Las Vegas immediately pick up the phone and call the FBI if there's any suspicious move in the line or money being wagered. So I think it, it will depend on the states and how they implement it. But again, I think it's in their best interest to run to run a square business. So I, I, I think it'll be better. I, I, I don't think it will be, you know, beer won't lead to heroin here. I think it'll be fine. When... Did- uh, oh, go ahead, Barton. You well, got- I was just going to ask if did did you in in talking to people for this story, did you come away with the impression that um, game fixing or 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 funny business, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word, takes place more than because I've for, uh, to be honest, I assume it never happens. Um, but did you come away with a different perspective in terms of? Yeah, the the idea that funny business takes place regularly or at least yearly in it, some it, in some regard. Yeah, it happens. It has happened. Michael Francis, in fact, the lead of the story says it talks about how he can look at a game and know if it's fixed or not. And then he says, especially the garbage points, you know, the stuff at the end of the game where, you know, there's an extra touchdown or um, or, or something like that that covers. He can he can tell that. And so I ask him, you know, what, what's the percentage? Does it still go on? Yes, but he wouldn't even venture a guess on on what percentage of games are like that. But I, I think that my, I guess my inspiration for this is I think we all know are familiar with the um, point shaving in college basketball going back to the fifties in Kentucky and in CCNY. No one talks about football. It's like, oh, yeah, he can't fix a football game. There are too many moving pieces. No, he, he goes into detail over how that happens or how, how it would happen, uh, how it has happened. Um, so that's, that's what intrigued me because it, it, it has happened. 
Um, he talked routinely on radio shows about how he can spot games, and it's going on right now. See, I I find it interesting because I'm I my initial instinct is a little bit more of what you said. Where uh, in in basketball, sure, there's less players on the yeah. floor, so that you can have more of an impact, and and there are more uh, you know with all the different possessions in a game. There's you one possession here, one possession there might be able to be overlooked, and the control that a someone who is con- who has a claim to a fix in a college football game in particular has to have control i would think over you know multiple players that are all going to be in on this together and the to think about how far that control has to spread within a locker room that already has a lot of other uh, concerns and worries and and uh, goals and aspirations that it it is tough for me to imagine how specifically the game is fixed. I I keep coming back to the idea that in college football or maybe even in football in general that so much more of it is a like fixing. I wonder if you could fix a line because it's information trading. You know, if well, if all that, of a sudden like what, yeah. you've got an oh, yeah. edge that no yeah. one else does. And then all of a sudden, you know, you wait until a certain time and then you hammer it and then there's a, a big swing in the line. Yeah, you, you just you just hand, you just found it. That's the thing. Don't think about result. Think about the spread, because that's what these guys are trying to influence. You know, they're trying to get money down on covering the 14 or covering the 10. Um, and that's where this is. This isn't an influencing the outcome of a game per se. Uh, I, I will give you an anecdote from the story because I had the same questions you did in football. Uh, Michael Francis said you get a senior who's not really headed to the pros and who needs money, and you get up close to him. So, and this all is predicated by the fact this person is already betting. It has nothing to do but gets upside down, um, is behind, owes somebody something. Uh, and you say, hey, we – how would you like to have 70 grand by the end of the, your senior year? All you have to do with this, you get a running back, you get a linebacker, you get a quarterback, you tell the quarterback, listen, the first two or three times you touch the ball, uh, it's got to go to the other team. Um, you tell a running back the same thing. You, it, you know, if you touch the ball 10 times, you got to drop it twice. And it, there's ways you can do it that it doesn't look so obvious. There's a real concern about officials to the point that the SEC brought in an FBI agent to talk to their officials this year. Because there's an opening there. Think about these guys. They're all contract workers. They're not full-time. Um, you know, we, we saw it with Tim Donaghy in the NBA. Uh, and again, you're just, you're trying to influence, or they are, trying to influence the line. Uh, it's, it could be something as an extra free throw or fall at the end of basketball. Um, in football, a flag, a penalty that nobody sees, but they throw a flag for it. It's that detailed. So it, it, it does happen. Mm. Do, you, do you feel like, because as, as we talk about this, I, I just think about the optics of this, like out in the open, millions of dollars, shoot, billions yeah. of dollars being wagered on an unpaid labor force mm-hmm. and and sort of, this maybe this could be sort of that springboard to finding some revenue share, some, some, some impetus for paying college athletes. And I, I'm I'm not a guy that believes in paying them. I, I believe they should have 
you know, be able to capitalize on their on their likeness and and accept sponsorship deals and things like that. But I, I wonder if and Dennis, if you think that this could be some sort of a springboard in the long term, just just like I said, based on like just the optics of it, it just feels weird to be like wagering all these guys that can't accept yeah. any money. Well, who's to say? I- there's a couple of ways I think it could come about. I really do think the argument for organizing players and as distasteful as that sounds, it's going to happen now with what's happening at Maryland. And, you know, you, they, they do it in, in the pros and the NFL and the NBA. You're collectively bargaining your work conditions. You're not collectively bargaining your salary. You're bargaining your work, your work conditions. NFL players only practice in full pads less than one, on average, less than one week during this, uh, every, every season, on average, less than one time during a week. Um, you know, I think what's happening at Maryland brings to light. You could collectively bargain that. And, how, and then how far does that go in being able to re- share in uh, name, image, and likeness? I think there's that. Who's to say there isn't some sports book that, that – uh, that approaches the players and said, "Hey, we want to use your your likeness in promoting our product, and we pay your organization X amount of dollars, and you can divvy it up any way you want." Uh, number one, it it doesn't look we're, we we've got legal gambling anyway, so it doesn't really impact NCAA rules. Number two, it doesn't impact Title IX because it's market driven. You know, this workforce is valued more than others. So I think it comes about one of those two ways. I, I agree with you, Barton. The NBA has made a partnership with MGM Resorts International. Yeah. Um, where will the conferences do you do you ever foresee in let's say the next five years uh, the conferences being open to the idea of creating similar partnerships? I think right now they're so scared of this that they don't know what they don't know. Uh, you know, you've got you've got the situation where commissioners and athletic directors are, you know, haven't even got to that level, haven't aren't even thinking about what how do we monetize this or do we monetize this? You see, you hear about this term integrity fee, which came from the NBA right away. They, right. By the way, they suggested that uh, give us a percentage of the handle in this new legal betting environment, and the handle is what people bet. Um, and the handle is really a percentage of the vigorish, which is five to ten percent, which is how a casino makes its money, how it makes its profit. Uh, the problem with that is, I think uh, initially uh, some colleges and the NBA was asking for one percent. Well, if you're even asking for one percent of ten percent, that's ten percent of the profit, and that's not doable. Right now, the only place where that's happening is in the state of West Virginia. They they are either close to or have come to an agreement with West Virginia and Marshall in the state of West Virginia to share uh, some of that handle for, and and West Virginia is saying out loud, we need to hire more compliance people in this new era, and that's where the money's going to go. Uh, Whether other states follow, I think is on a state-by-state basis, but the sports books, I think, are are dead set against us. They're not in the business of giving them their profits away. Interesting. Yeah, I was. I always thought it was funny that the price of integrity went up. You know, yeah. Like how much? Well, how, how much yeah. do you get to pay to sleep good at night? Well, NBA says that it's ten uh, percent of all the juice. 
Well, look, Nevada, yeah, Nevada's saying, or any sports book is saying, well, look, everything's functioning great now. Why should we give you to 10 or 20% of our profits basically for no reason at all? We, we police this thing pretty good, the, the sports books are saying. You know, why should we give you money to hire compliance people for this new venture? You can do that yourself. Yeah. Um, you mentioned what's going on at uh, – Barton, are you good here with uh, – you, you got anything else on, on the gambling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good to go. The uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned the situation at Maryland, Dennis. Uh, where – do you feel like this is uh, a, a story or a situation that will be paradigm shifting? You hinted at it. At, at, uh, at Maryland? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think we've reached a tipping point on that. This isn't the first coach or, or school or staff that's been alleged to have abused players. In fact, in, in the Big Ten, oh, since 2014, I think four coaches have been fired uh, for some sort of off-field incident. I think three of them for alleged player abuse. So you're going that that's going to have to change. It's so unregulated. Again, I, I just told you about what the situation is in the NFL. And the, the, the NCAA has tried. They cut out two-a-days uh, during August. They've cut down the number of practices in spring ball. But I think now a lot of these coaches feel compelled to, to mash a bunch into a little. Uh, no more two-a-days, so we're going to go extra hard. And especially, you know this, Barton, with the new coaches. They feel like they have to weed guys out. Uh, it's called running players off. Who's in? Who's out? Who's buying in? Um, and you see it happen almost every year either talk of it or actually it goes public like it has at Maryland, even though it's uh, I think DJ Jerkins uh, second or third year. I wonder if the sort of tough guy coach is, is going to need to like, I don't think you can coach like it's 1985 anymore. And because there's so many, points of entry into a program there's so many means of communication there's so many sort of like you just can't blockade your program from the outside world the way you used to and so when you hear guys like scott frost preach this sort of positive coaching uh mantra and and when you see sort of the some of the young coaches that are coming up um I feel like that there's a lot of them are going to have more of that approach than this old school uh, grind you up, humiliate you because you can't finish a rep style. And I just wonder if this is a, a tipping point in that regard and sort of sort of sort of sweeping out the old style of coaching and bringing in this new style. Do you, do you I, see that yeah, kind of change here? I, I, I do. Uh, it's just the voices have to be heard. Scott Anderson who's a head trainer at Oklahoma, was a guy I admire and trust, said a long time ago, you know, when uh, typically these these deaths or injuries in football happen in the offseason. And he had a very succinct statement once. He said, what game are you trying to win in January that you're, that you're you know, beating these guys up so much in the offseason in T-shirts and shorts? He said, you have to get rid of the punitive drills. In other words, you know, th- there's a difference between position-specific conditioning and running a guy or guys to death. Um, I was listening to, oh, God, uh, Trevor Price uh, on the radio this week, uh, the former NFL player, and he knew Jordan McNair's family. He knew Jordan McNair at Maryland, and he said, 
he was making the point that, you know, you don't need to run players to death. Jordan McNair was recruited by everybody. And he said, I guarantee you, if he was at Penn State, he'd be alive today. You know, I thought that was a compelling statement for James Franklin and, and for coaches like him. You know, what, what looks really bad, and it's only been a few weeks, guys. Chip, you were there. How bad does Larry Fedora's comments look right now that football is under attack? Mm. I mean, that's just, that, that's just ludicrous. It's that kind of mentality that it, it's actually the exact opposite. The, the players that, that are playing the game in some cases are under attack. We've got to get rid of that. You know, it also speaks to, I think, how difficult a strength coach's job is in the sense that you have to figure out a way in the offseason to instill toughness and create a tough culture because that's that's how you win football games. But obviously, you have to, to, to balance that effectively with player safety. And, you know, the, the, look, the highest paid strength coach in America is at Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't, get, don't get me started about Chris Doyle, but go ahead. Okay. What, in, in what sense? What yeah, gets started? Uh, in, in January of 2011, a drill he was running sent 13 players to the hospital. They all contracted rhabdomyolysis and a couple were on the brink of, uh, I think, I think organ transplant or organ shutdown. And that's one thing. Okay. And it was yeah. written about, and it's very, it's, we all know about it. The other thing, it was almost a slap in the face. He was, months later, he was given the Iowa Assistant Coach Award of the Year. I, I, I can't think of any other business where 13 employees would go to the hospital and that person would be rewarded for his job like that. So, yeah, I, look, your, your point is the second most important person on any staff, we all agree, is a strength coach because they spend more time on um with the players than even the head coach and i've got a a good friend at usc ivan lewis who told me that's absolutely true players will come to me and cry on my shoulder about personal things because they trust them so much but part of that is the reason that the ncaa has mandated the head coaches can't spend time with these guys in the offseason now it's more you know it's more they can spend eight hours with them per week without a ball i think out on the field if they choose to but that's part of the reason we've got we've gotten there. You know, this culture's been developed that the that the strength coach runs everything because of NCAA rules. And I'm not blaming the NCAA. I just think it's a it's a it's a vicious circle. The uh, you've you're you're going to be writing about, or you have already written about Houston's Ed Oliver um, for, and he may or may not. I don't know when uh, when our fine awards will be coming out, but yeah. I'll, I'll say he's in the running for our CBS Sports Player of the Year and certainly worth writing about from our senior college football columnist, Dennis Dodd. The, Ed, is Ed Oliver the in, in a year where the offseason talk when it comes to stars and the, the names that uh, I've been asked about, you've been asked about, Barton's been asked about on CBS Sports HQ, 24-7 live streaming service. Watch it on any of your OTT <laughs> devices. Um, but, like, you know, we're asked about Tua. We're asked about Jalen. We're asked about Trevor Lawrence. We're asked about Kelly Bryant. We're talking about Jake Fromm in Georgia. Uh, we're talking about uh, Oklahoma. But not a lot uh, about uh, from Ed Oliver. Do you think that that will change once Houston actually takes the field? Yeah, I do. And, and Barton, you can chime in on this. I think a lot of that's just because he's a defensive lineman. It's just not as sexy. But I, you know, there's a lot of people that, at least in the NFL circles, that rate him the number one player right now. 
because it's so hard to find impact defensive tackles. They play an over defense. I, th- I believe he plays head up on the center all the time. And he's got 39 and a half tackles for loss uh, in his first two seasons as a college football player. I, uh, the SID there told me, I think this stat is right. That's the most ever for an interior defensive lineman. Now, there have been you know defensive ends that have gotten more. But think about that. A defensive tackle has 39 and a half tackles for loss in his first two seasons. I, I think he's at rare talent, Ed Oliver, who could have played – you know, uh, a Herschel Walker type who could have played after his freshman year or out of high school um, and is such a valued commodity that uh, he's he's that guy. I mean, at 18 years old, he was the first power five. I'm sorry, first player to go to a group of five, uh, five star to a uh, uh, let me start over. First five star to go to a group of five. Um I believe that's the case, at least defensively. So he is special. He could have gone anywhere. Uh, he said he want, still went, wanted to go to LSU, where his family is from. And he said he might get his degree from there. So there's hope. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I, that interested me. Um, and I kind of I, I saw that comments bubble up. And I guess maybe I need a little more context there. But I wonder if Ed Oliver – is happy with the decision that he's made to, to go to Houston. I mean, you've talked to him. You've been to Houston's campus a couple of times. What, what's, what's your take on sort of how his career has, has been impacted one way or the other based on making that decision to go to a group of five instead yeah, of I, a, an SEC school? Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, it's fine. He's going to be drafted highly and, and has had a fine career. I, I, I will say that I think Major Applewhite is just kind of upset that he keeps – referencing that you know it's i don't think it hurts anybody you know you know quit talking about lsu you know, right, it's like, right. yeah, maybe he gets his de- goes back and gets his degree from lsu that's fine but he came to houston because his brother was there um they the family's from north houston the the they grew up or his dad's from from louisiana and they spent part of his childhood there uh but it, it is what it is it's been a great relationship for the kid for the school he's been a, a great person in the community and, and Houston loves its heroes we've seen look what we've seen since the flood we've seen you know Altuve JJ Watt uh, some of these people helping in the community and, and Ed, Ed Oliver's one of those guys so he's going to be probably top pick in the NFL draft is that what they're saying yeah I, 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 I hasten to say any of that because they got to play the games you know who's going to be the top quarterback taken I don't know you know who's Drew Locke threw 44 touchdown passes last year and, and led the country and decided to come back because the you know the uh, the quarterback class was stocked and he had something to prove. So, yeah, I mean we don't know if he's going to get hurt. Um, you know I keep coming back to who was the last defensive lineman valued this highly coming into a college football season where the discussion was about him being the number one player in the game. Maybe Miles Garrett, but he was an edge rusher. Oh, you um, know what the funny thing is? It's coming into the season is the the operative term here because yes. Aaron Donald was second team preseason all ACC. He wasn't even a first team pick, and he finished the year sweeping up every major defensive award that they had. Well, what that, about it? That's the comparison with Oliver. What a, Go ahead. Yeah. What What about Indomitian Sue? I know. I mean, he was that. Was he a I know postseason. I mean, the guy was what third in the Heisman. Yeah. But was he a pre? Was he was he this level preseason? 
I I don't think he was. I was in the process of checking that. I I reached out to someone this week and I can't remember who. They said the last person they can remember like this was Dan Wilkinson at Ohio State in the early nineties. Um, and that's I, I'm struggling to remember. He had a long NFL career, um, you know. But but I don't remember that. Uh, Sue might be the guy that would have been a 2009-ish, right? Uh, for him, yeah. So that, I'd have to go back and look at that. Maybe him, yeah. Um, good stuff. Uh, he is Dennis Dodd. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS. Uh, Dennis, thank you very much. All right, guys, enjoyed it. Thanks.